You can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. The Oxford Dictionary defines temptation as the desire to do something, especially something wrong or unwise. Merriam-Webster defines it as the act of tempting or the state of being tempted, especially to something evil. Some words we might use in its place could be enticement, desirous, interested, curious, excited, aroused, lured, or allured. Growing up in Wyoming, uh, as I have Wyomingites, uh, like others who live in remote parts of the world, often have to imagine ways to entertain ourselves. One of those ways is fishing. Uh, certainly, through different eras of human history, fishing was not so much entertainment, but rather life or death, and one's ability to tempt or arouse or allure a fish into some form of a trap could could certainly be the test of life or death, eating or going hungry. The art of fishing, then, is nothing short of the art of temptation. You, as the fisherman, become the tempter. You become the tempter, and the best fishermen, uh, or they always know, and they always do their homework, and they always know the exact prey that they are after. You don't fish for a rainbow trout the same way you do for a northern pike. You do your work, you do your homework, and you tempt them with the appropriate bait. We'll stick around uh, Wyoming long enough, and someone will ask you uh, in your boredom to go ice fishing with them. And in the right conditions, the ice fisherman has the unique opportunity to observe and to take part in the art of temptation. After drilling a hole in the ice to access the water below, the fisherman begins to uh, this wonderful process of temptation that hopefully leads him to a meal. He pulls up a seat and he peers into the water where he drops the hook into this crystal clear world below and begins to watch the show. And the game is on. At an opportune time, an unsuspecting fish, he comes swimming along and he sees something that he's curious about. So he swims its way over and he begins to look at the bait. The fisherman, not wanting to give himself away a up there above, stays very quiet and stealthy and begins to move the bait around in front of the fish's nose so you will know what this looks like if you've done it before. And, and you can imagine the fish is just maybe inching closer and closer as he observes the bait and he's thinking, maybe I'm going to eat that. If the fish is wise, though, knows his environment well and recognizes the nuances of the temptation, he swims away and he saves his life. However, if the prey takes the bait, the tempter sets the hook, leads the fish by its head to the top of the hole and pulls it out of this safe environment where it can breathe and live, where he immediately begins to suffer until he dies and is consumed. And so goes the battle between the tempter and his prey. 
Friends, if you're visiting Capital City Church this morning, you have joined us as we are preaching our way through the life of Jesus. We are in a series titled In the Spirit and the Power of Elijah and focusing on the ministry era of John the Baptizer. The last time we looked at the life of Christ, we observed Jesus coming with thousands of others to be baptized by John the Baptist. And we took note that, that the Spirit of God came down from heaven in some kind of bodily form and lit upon Jesus. And we heard the voice of God saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is the third time that, that there's been a reference in the book of Luke to Jesus being the Son of God. We, we first saw that in chapter 1 where the angel was making his announcement and saying of Jesus that he would be called the Son of God. The second time we, we run into this is Jesus is in the temple and he calls God very personally his Father. The third time now we see this theme building as the Son of God, God from heaven speaks and the voice booms out, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Today we'll focus on the trickiest tempter and the wisest human to have ever done battle against each other. Beloved, I want you to grab a hold of the big idea here and notice that the tempter is always fishing, but the wisdom of God's Word will save our lives. Let's pull up a seat and peer into the crystal clear water of God's Word in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, and see what happens when Satan tempts Jesus. The game is on. Well, every game has two players, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke recur, record excuse me, the first significant interaction between the devil and another human being since the temptation of Eve in Genesis chapter 3. Think about that for just a moment. The only significant interaction that we have, there are references to Satan, there are 39 books of the Old Testament, but the only, the only major occurrence that we see him interacting with human beings since the Garden of Eden is right here in the wilderness. Genesis becomes to be the beginning of the story, and certainly this is meant to get our attention and, and does get our attention. And after the baptism of Jesus, verse 1 says there in Luke chapter 4, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Being tempted by the devil. I don't think that I could wax eloquent enough. We could spend an entire sermon talking about the significance of the Spirit of God coming upon Jesus, giving him the strength to go in and be tempted for 40 days by the devil. You'll remember that as the Spirit of God has come upon those in the Old Testament, it gave people like Samson, who we like to think in our minds as a big muscular guy who's beating people up. I, I love what Dr. Bookman likes to say. I like to think of him as a tiny little guy because the idea is not that Samson is mighty. It's that the Spirit of God has come in and remained upon Samson and given him an ability that is absolutely, unbelievably, something that a human being could do on his own. And that's the idea. Whether it's Samson or, 
or, or the other judges that we find, the idea is the Spirit of God has come upon them, or, or David, the Spirit of God has come upon him to give him the strength to do that which he needed to do. And you'll notice we're not going to spend any time in Matthew today, but we read out of Matthew there uh, that Jesus does not become hungry, and we'll see it today, until after the 40 days. After the 40 days, in our minds, like, I'm hungry already. I was up and in the office at 6 a.m. I barely made it four hours, and my body's saying, it's, it's time for lunch. The Spirit of God has come upon him. He's not operating like a normal human being. It's the strength and the power of the Spirit, and, and for 40 days, he is doing battle with the tempter. And at the end of those 40 <laughs> He becomes extremely hungry. Can you imagine? Extremely hungry. Beloved, the game is on. The two opponents are found in verse 1. There is the Son of God, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, and the ancient enemy of humanity, that tricky tempter from Genesis 3, the devil. It is clear here that this game of temptation is not something that happens just at those end of the 40 days there. The text says that for 40 days, Jesus is being tempted and tempted by the devil. Revelation 12, 9 pulls together all of the Old and New Testament and, and helps us to understand something we take for granted, and that is who the devil is. It says this, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives, notice here, the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Beloved, the serpent, the devil, is the great deceiver, the trickiest tempter that man has ever and will ever interact with. And Revelation 12.9 says that he is deceiving the whole world. Deceiving the whole world. Jesus, in a conversation with the religious Jews, said this of Satan nature in John chapter 8, verse 44. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whether he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And that is what a tempter is. And that is the game. Friends, this formidable fisherman tempter keeps his tactics pretty simple. His strategy can be observed in his interaction and attack on humanity in the Garden of Eden. Pastor Stephen Davey, one of my old pastors, did a wonderful job in his sermon uh, on this text titling the devil's temptations like this. Number one, you might take this down if you're taking notes. Number one, put yourself first. The second temptation, we'll see it today, is take the easy way out. And the third temptation is do things your own way. Do things your own way. Consider those temptation in, in the devil's interaction with Eve in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that, number one, the tree was good for food, she was tempted to put herself first. And number two, that it was a delight to the eyes. She was tempted, like a fish, to take the easy way out, the meal that was right before her eyes. And number three, that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She was tempted to do things her own way. I would imagine if you have walked the Christian life for very long, you will recognize these same patterns in your own life and in the life of others who have struggled 
and fallen into sin and the results of it. Beloved, you'll often hear me say as your pastor this short phrase, and you will find it printed on most of my coffee cups, (laughs) that the Christian life is simple, it's just not easy. The Christian life is simple. (laughs) This is simple. Really, if all we had was Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we'd have enough to go about life. (laughs) It's simple. We have an enemy. It's just not easy. (laughs) He's forever, forever causing us to question, has God said? Has God said this? Did he make a promise to you? Forget that promise. Take it into your own hands. Do it your own way. Take the easy way out. It's really all we need to know. Simple. It's just not that easy. You see, you might even simplify the three temptations that I just mentioned and put them all together under the category of the first tactic of the devil. And that tactic is nothing short of a militaristic show of force that we often call in the military realm shock and awe. Shock and awe. When we would train, when I had the great privilege of of being in the army, uh, and we had the, the, the upper hand and the opportunity to assault maybe a, a, um, a target that we were after and we could get in and we were, not, uh, we were not noticed, the very first thing you did was shock and awe. As much firepower as you could do in a matter of about 30 seconds, you laid it down on that target. Now, if you kept laying it down on that target, you'd run out of bullets and way too fast. But the idea is we're going to do everything we can right now to, to take all authority over this situation and create as much fear and as much doubt as we possibly can. And this is what Satan is doing when he says to Eve, has God said? It's nothing short of a giant bomb going off to disorient Eve to get her to then bite in or buy into these next temptations. As soon as the tempter disoriented Eve, the temptations, like a snowball or an avalanche, if you'll know, began to multiply until Eve was so convinced that she could not be wrong of her situation, that she could see and feel and hear, that she disobeyed the clear and simple Word of God and brought death to all of creation. Think of this moment. Oh, beloved, what a game. Who is the devil? He is Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was a murderer from the beginning, and it is in his very nature to be a liar, to be a liar. As I mentioned before about our text in Luke, this game of temptation is not something that happens just at the end of the 40 days. And we should ask, why was Jesus being tempted The great preacher Warren Wearsby answered this question well when he wrote this. Jesus was tempted so that he could personally experience what we go through and so be prepared to assist us. Just pause for a second, right? Is the role of Christ now and his ability to identify with us, to sit at the right hand of the Father and to intercede for us 
And if you can imagine the heavenly courtroom, the devil is there like he is in Job, and he's, he's saying, you're guilty, and Thomas is guilty, and Tabitha is guilty, and Valerie is guilty, and, and everybody is guilty. And guess what? We are. We are. The devil's not about the business of telling all lies. He's just about taking some truth and putting them together in a, in a series of things and then making a lie out of all of it. And what is Jesus doing? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding, the writer of Hebrews says, on our behalf. Why? Because he was tempted in all ways like you and I are. Yet, he prevailed. He's the great intercessor. He's the great priest. So Wearsby says he's assisting us and to show us how we can overcome the evil one is what is going on here by means of the Spirit of God. We cannot, beloved, overcome the evil one without the Spirit of God. And look there, the Word of God. The first Adam was tested, Wearsby says, in a beautiful garden and failed with all the food he could have eaten around him, right? But the last Adam, Jesus, was victorious. In a terrible wilderness. Why? He had the Spirit of God and he had the Word of God in his heart. Amen? Oh, there's wisdom for us there, beloved. So Luke 4 2 says that for 40 days Jesus is being tempted. Let's look at verses 2 through 4 and how he is being tempted to put himself first. Luke says that he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. So here it is, beloved, like Eve in the garden, Jesus is tempted to put himself first. Although impossible for us to see in the English, the devil is not confused about Jesus' ability to turn the stone into bread. This is a first-class conditional clause in the Greek and something if you have a, a, an opportunity and you, you just want to look into languages that you could uh, do a little more study on. But the idea of this clause is not if, like, if and then. It is if and because we know. <laughs> if you are the Son of God and I know you are, is what the devil is saying. Some, some might even translate it and go as far as to say, since you are the Son of God. That is the first class conditional clause. There's three in the Greek, first, second, and third classes. Jesus not confused, or the sa Satan is not confused about who Jesus is. And he tells him, since you're the Son of God, Turn the rock into bread. Now, I know it's been a few weeks since we learned and leaned in on the title of Son of God, but hopefully you will remember what the Jewish sense of the term means. This is a Jewish world, and we've got to do all that we can to integrate with it and understand what is being said. And, and for us, we often hear son of anything, and we just think, Somebody who was produced by somebody else. And that is not the Jewish sense at all. We have talked about this in the past. When, when, when the devil is saying, since you are the, the equal of God, now, you get it? <laughs> Feel the weight of that. 
This is what's going on in the, in the let me bring the Jewish and the, in, the, in the Greek here into English. Since you are the equal of God, turn that stone into bread. Do it. Effectively, the devil is saying, put yourself first. Put yourself first. Tell the stone to become the Son of God. It's interesting, isn't it? That in this text, the, unlike so many false teachers in our world, that the devil is not confused about Jesus' deity, not one bit. Amen. Beloved, the devil is attempting to get Jesus in the weakness of his humanity to violate his humanness and once again operate as God with all of God's eternally powerful attributes. And what would happen if Jesus took the bait from that tricky fisherman? <laughs> he would have to have had left his humanity behind and operated on earth with his deity. And because of that, there would uh, no longer be a sacrifice for your and I's sin. Jesus would have, would, would have dissolved himself of his humanity by saying, okay, I'll just do it. He wouldn't have had the same temptation as you and I. He wouldn't have been that sacrifice on the cross for you and I. The writer of Hebrews says this in 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. You might even argue tempted much deeper, right? Much deeper, at a much deeper level in the sense of, of, of hey, just go ahead and access. Just go ahead and access that deity I know that lives within you. What would you and I do if we could access that deity today? Warm it up about 30 degrees, some palm trees, maybe a little sand in an ocean. Christy Winter says, Amen. <laughs> right? He has that access, he has that ability. He says to Peter in the garden at Gethsemane on the, on the brink of his death, don't cut that man's ear off. Don't use that sword. Don't you know that I could call down a legion of angels to come and save me? And he could have. We don't face that temptation. But for Jesus to leave his humanity aside would leave you and I without a human intercessor standing at the right hand of God saying, I paid for Bruce Kite. I paid for that one. Beloved, if Jesus had taken the bait and put himself first, all of humanity would remain condemned to Adam and Eve's death and destined to eternal punishment in hell. Oh yes, the game is on. And friends, it does not take a lot of work to put ourselves in these shoes. In our humanity, we are constantly tempted to become short-sighted and put ourselves first, are we not? Satan comes along like this fisherman, right? And he's watching all of this, just like the ice fisherman. And this, he's got a clear view of your life. And in an opportune time, like a masterful fisherman, he tempts his prey by capturing our focus, Right? Let me get you just focused on this one little thing. Forget everything around you in hopes that we will forget and ignore what God has said. But his murderous, deceitful nature well knows that if we take the bait, he will set the hook, right, and win the game. 
Not only disrupting or or destroying our lives, but often, like Adam and Eve, all of those around us. And Jesus, our example of winning the game of temptation against Satan, did not turn to the subjectivity of prayer, but rather to the obedience and objectivity of the written Word of God. I, I hope you write that down and talk with that about your family after this service. He did not come to the subjectivity of, of, of prayer and say, well, or feelings, I, I feel kind of like this, so maybe I'll go this way, and maybe that's God telling me what to do. I feel like that's God. How many of you know your feelings in a matter of seconds can go from the highest high to the lowest low? And when you pray in both of those highest high and those lowest low moments, you might be tempted to say something like, well, God is telling me to do this. Oh no, beloved, get back to the Word of God. What has been said? Don't get swayed by your emotions. Don't get swayed by the subjectivity of prayer. Pray that you can understand the Word of God well and pray that you will have the courage to do it. (laughs) Amen? That's my prayer. That's my prayer. So Jesus, he chooses obedience in the written Word of God. He quoted from the book of Deuteronomy and said in verse 4, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone shall not live on bread alone. Friends, Jesus did not buy into the temptation to put himself first. Being God, very God, he certainly could have turned the stones into bread, but looking beyond his natural desire for food, he understood what even the garden did not. Fulfilling and fulfilling his selfish desires would lead to the destruction, listen here, of millions of souls. Just a little bread. Aren't you hungry? Don't you feel hungry? Aren't you tired from this battle? Aren't you glad it's over? Just make a little bread. Take care of yourself. Put yourself first. Jesus was tempted like us, yet he was without sin. And rather than doing that, putting himself First, he became sin on our behalf. You're in here and you're unfamiliar with the life of Christ, or maybe you just don't understand it well. Understand this morning that if Jesus buys into this sin, you have no opportunity for eternity. He has died on your behalf. He has taken on the sin and the suffering that you deserved on the cross on your behalf. This is what's going on here. Pray today would be the day you would repent of your sin and turn to Christ. Amen. Beloved, the big idea is knowing that the tempter is always fishing, but the wisdom of God's word will save our lives. Where temptation number one is put yourself first, temptation number two, look there, (coughs) is take the easy way out. Take the easy way out. Verse 5 says, and he, the devil, led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall be yours. 
Oh, what a trick and what a temptation. Beloved, we spent about six months last year covering the prophetic highlights which spoke of an earthly kingdom where the Messiah would rule and reign over the nations. We observed that all the way back in Genesis 49, God began to reveal that there would be a king and a kingdom who ruled over not just the Jews, but over all the nations. And and don't you know, right here, the devil knows that? He knows that. And, And Jesus, guess what? He knows it too. And what's he saying? Take the easy way out, Jesus. All this has been handed over to me. That's true. But pause for just a second and remember that Somebody had to hand it to him. It's all been handed over to me. Take the easy way out. Don't work for it. Don't go to the cross. Don't suffer. I'll give it to you right now. Take the easy way out, Jesus. You can fulfill the scripture. You can have the kingdom now. But you don't need to have the suffering. You see what is happening here? Genesis 49.10 says this in, in, pro, in prophetic terms, the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler from the staff between his feet until Shiloh comes. <laughs> and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. That's the nations. Beloved, the devil knows that Jesus is the king from Genesis 49. He and Jesus know that Jesus will one day rule and reign over the nations. What is the temptation then? It is simple. It's to take this easy way out. In other words, uh, similar to putting yourself first, the devil is saying, skip the difficulty of three years of ministry with no place to lay your head, being misunderstood, rejected by your family. Skip that. Skip your disciples leaving you, being disoriented, discouraged. Skip all of the betrayal of your friends. Skip the beating. Skip the scourging. Skip the nails. Skip the hands uh, uh, being pierced in your feet. Skip. Jesus, skip the cross. Take the easy way out. I'll, I'll give you the nations. All you have to do here is, like your ancestor Adam did, bow down. Bow down. Quoting the book of Deuteronomy again, Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You see the nuance of the devil's temptation to take the easy way out? If Jesus would have just uh, would do it, it would be like a fast forward, right? Past the cross to the millennial kingdom. He could avoid the pain of doing what God had planned for him in his death. Once again, no cross would mean no salvation for you and me, but would also mean that like Adam and even Jesus would have to bow down to the devil and, and disobey what God had clearly said for him to do in prophetic psalms like Psalm 22 and Psalm and Isaiah 53. You see, friends, it's game on. Don't take the easy way out. Learn the wisdom of God's written word and pray that you have the courage to obey it. The devil, the great tempter of humanity, knows that if he can get you to take the easy way out and disobey what God has already established for you, you're on the hook. And it's got a sharp barb. And you will lose. Beloved, the big idea is knowing that the tempter is always fishing, but the wisdom of God's word will save our lives. Temptation one is to put yourself first. Temptation two is to take the easy way out. Temptation 3 is found in verses 9 through 12, and it is this. Do things 
your own way. Do things your own way. Put yourself first. Take the easy way out. Do things the way you want to do them. Unhinge yourself from the Word of God. At least in its context. Verse 9 says, And he, that's the devil, led him, Jesus, to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If, that is again, that first class conditional, since you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Oh, how tricky, right? How tricky. <laughs> the first class I took when I got saved, the first man who, who <laughs> I say, attempted to disciple me because I'm a slow learner, Taught us, a te- taught us a lesson in hermeneutics and word studies. And if you've taken any kind of study in the past, you'll know this, that this is the rule for understanding your Bible. It's three of the same word. Context, context, and context. The devil is tricky, though. He goes to Psalm 91 here. And it is a messianic psalm. And he says, let me trick you, Jesus. (laughs) Why don't you just fulfill this one too while you're at it? Forget your humanity. Forget about that. Or, and just go back to this prophetic psalm where it says here that if you'll just throw yourself off this cliff, things will be fine. You see the trickery? You see that all three of these temptations at their core and at their heart, they're all the same. Don't go to the cross. Don't go to the cross. Do things your own way. The previous two temptations, Jesus responded to them by saying, it is written... Man shall not live on bread alone. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Here the master of all trickery and lies reveals to us most, the most important detail about himself. He knows the word of God and he knows how to misuse it. He knows the word of God and he knows how to misuse it. How many times have you been in an argument or some kind of, uh, I, I, maybe I'll just leave it at that word, argument, right, with somebody, and you're both using the Word of God, right? And you're beating on each other with the Word of God. Out of context, I'd love to say my wife and I have never done this, but it says, no, but it says, and it says, right? It's not the heart, it's not the spirit of God's Word to beat on somebody or to get what you want out of it. The devil knows how to misuse it. We should beckon our minds back to the narrative found in Genesis 3 where the devil questioned God's word to deceive Eve. Effectively, the devil was saying, do things your own way. And did God really say that? Eve, he must not have meant that you would surely die. Rather, he really meant that you would Be like him. Just question what God has told you. 
Let your emotions get in the way. Let your desires get in the way. Let the circumstances of life so pressure you into a corner that, that you would believe somehow, some way, that this is all about you and you can just change it to make it fit your desires. Do things your way, not God's way. Oh, beloved, the trickiness of the temper to use God's word against his own people. But Jesus, knowing that he would surely die if he threw himself off the temple and therefore not go to the cross and not die for the sins of the world, verse 12 says this, And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And this would be an easy place to focus our attention on occults like the LDS or the Jehovah's Witness Church who major in twisting the Word of God to teach what they want. We could wax eloquent for hours and maybe even weeks and probably in a Sunday school class we should about the errors of those who have deceived millions upon millions to take the bait and end up in hell. However, we'd be amiss to not realize that you and I are just as guilty of buying into this temptation as they are when we misuse the Scriptures to accomplish our ends. We call it proof texting in the theological world. Let me give you this big long story and then I'll pick out one verse and I'll tell you this is why it is. It's foolish. We do it all the time. Every one of us. It happens to me, and I'm certain that it happens to you. Beloved, when we are tempted to do things our way, we are effectively on the devil's battlefield. And do not forget, he knows the Word of God better than anyone in this room ever will, and he will twist it in any way possible to create division and as many opportunities to jump off that cliff as possible. Do it your way. I really wanted to lean in on this I, and just do a whole bunch of explaining of has God says, but I'm out of time and I was certainly out of space in my preparation. But let's think about some of the cliffs that we often jump off all on that atomic bomb of how the devil says, has God said Beloved, has God said, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 through 27, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Every human being should pause right there. Don't go to sleep tonight. Don't do it. Not in a single day. Go to bed tonight and let anger be in your soul. Don't do it. That's what God says. You say, well, pastor, if you knew what my husband did, if you knew that my wife had, had slept around on me, if you knew that my kids had, had, had deceived me and stole money from me and, and, and took everything, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Has God said? <laughs> Feel the weight of that? As God said, Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. Try to do that in one hour after this service and you begin to talk. Not one unwholesome word. Not negativity. 
Not talking down about somebody, not, not using language in a way to tear apart, but only to build up. Oh, man, maybe we should get on our knees and start praying. Has God said not one unwholesome word? Has God said, Ephesians 4, 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. And you go on to say they're just like Jesus Christ forgave you. Do you understand? Can we just pause for a second? These are just three, right? We get so offended by what people do to us. Then we hate them and we want to fight back with unwholesome words and we want to do all this stuff and it's tempting, but has God said, forgive them. Can you imagine Jesus in the garden, his 12 around, and Peter, as bold as he is, he grabs a sword and hacks off some guy's ear, right? And before the end of that scene, every one of them scatters and leaves him alone. We're your great friends. We're with you. We'll be with you till you die. <laughs> Boom, <laughs> right? Forgive them the way Christ Jesus forgave you. Walk with them. Pray for them. And Peter would say, or Jesus would say in the end as he's restoring Peter from these difficult circumstances, Peter, Satan has asked for you. He's asked to sift you, but oh, I've prayed for you. The great intercessor, right? That's our heart. Temptation number one, put yourself first. Temptation number two, take the easy way out. Temptation number three, do things your own way. Notice now verse 13, when the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. It's a few things you should note, and I won't spend much time on them, but notice this, that the devil is not like God. He is not omnipresent. He has a system in the world that is omnipresent. We live in it. But he is not in all places, all the time, at the same time like God is. He leaves him until an opportune time. Beloved, don't miss the common thread through each one of these temptations. Each one ha uh, was an attempt to keep Jesus from going to the cross. Luke 22 records Jesus is going through many temptations from the devil. Perhaps the most vibrant, though, is found in Matthew chapter 16 when Satan uses one of Jesus' closest friends to tempt him once again to not go to the cross. Matthew 16, verse 22 and 23, record it. It says this, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. Jesus had been telling them all along the way that he was going to die and go to the cross, but they could not hear it. They couldn't hear it. Finally, like a bomb, like an atomic bomb, it goes off in their minds. Did you just say you were going to die? You're supposed to come here and establish the kingdom. The Messiah doesn't die. Have you lost your mind? He drags Jesus aside. Can you imagine the boldness here? Far be it from you, Lord. Far be it from you to do something I don't want you to do. God forbid it, he says. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, what? We're so familiar with it. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. 
For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. You see, beloved, Peter, as close as he was to our Lord, was tempted, fell for the bait, got the hook, and tried to get in the way of what God had said. Tried to get in the way of what God had said. How often are we guilty of putting ourselves first, taking the easy way out, and doing things our own way? How tricky is the devil that far too many of us spend more time on Facebook or watching our favorite team than memorizing the scripture that when the devil begins to take it and pull it out of context and cause you to use it in ways that will destroy your life, we do need to get on our knees. We do need to ask for grace. We do need to turn from those things. It is life or death. Beloved, the game is on. It's on. Beloved, today we've peered into the clear water of God's word to get a better picture of the trickiest tempter and the wisest human to have ever done battle. We have much to learn from it. But make no mistake, when it comes to temptation... The game's on. Big idea, you ask? The tempter is always fishing, but the wisdom of God's word will save our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, how we can peer into a moment of time and attempt to imagine ourselves there and at the same time be convicted by your spirit of all the things that are going on in in each one's life right here in this Sanctuary, the the detailed struggles, the detailed temptations. Lord, we know that your word is, is the answer for every one of them. I pray, God, that you would return your church, return me, return all those around me to look into your word, ask the question, what have you said? And Lord, give us the strength and the courage to go about it not trusting our situation, but trusting that what you said is right. Lord, we'll be careful to give you all the glory because it all belongs to you. Help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.